Thanks for checking out the New Life Speakers podcast. All of our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. Our group is self-supporting through the seven traditions, so if you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating. You can do this with either Venmo or PayPal at New Life Speakers. Links to these can be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org, or you can use the link in the description. We greatly appreciate your generosity. More information about recovery and our upcoming events can also be found on our website. Again, that's newlifespeakers.org. And if you know some people in need, please share this with them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe. Welcome, Pete. All right. I can make it real short and just say what Michelle read is my story and be done. <laughs> but that's, that's pretty much it. You know, that, that hits it on the head for me. Um, so my name is Pete. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, I'm grateful to be here. Thanks for the opportunity to do some service. Um, I was told that, you know, anytime that I'm asked to do something in, in AA for, uh, for myself or for recovery, that I'm not to say no if, uh, unless there's absolutely can't. I don't know if that's good enough. I'm too tall. But in any event, um, my sobriety date is uh, May 19th, 2013. Um, I have a sponsor. Uh, I have a home group. It's the Hilltop group of uh, AA. Again, as meets at 630 on Tuesday nights. And I've been blessed to be able to sponsor other men in Alcoholics Anonymous. So, you know, I'm, I'm nervous, you know, no matter how many times you do this, you're nervous, I'm nervous. So um, I've been thinking about what I'm going to say all day, and I've completely forgot everything that I was going to say. So we'll just, we'll just let God take over and go from there. So, um, you know, uh, I, uh, I have uh, alcoholism in my family. Um, I did a bunch of genealogy. My, my great-grandfather died at 53 of alcoholism in 1901. His son, my great-grandfather, committed suicide. He was an alcoholic. My grandfather died at 53 also in the Wernersville State Hospital uh, from uh, wet brain and seizures. My dad is not an alcoholic. His, his disease came out sideways. He's got every other issue. My mom is an alcoholic, and my mom's dad is an alcoholic. So um, uh, I guess I was um, destined to be an alcoholic. I, didn't, I never thought about it you know, in those terms. But... And as I mentioned, two, two of the people uh, that I mentioned died at age 53. I, I got sober uh, eight and a half years ago at the age of 48. And I, I don't doubt for a minute that if I've been lucky, I would have been lucky to make it to 53. I would have followed right you know, in suit with the rest of those guys. So I'm grateful for my higher power that I have a relationship with. I'm, I'm super grateful for uh, AA you know, and Alcoholics Anonymous and the people that God has placed in my life that I'm sober today. So... All of those things I mentioned, that's not why I'm an alcoholic, though. Uh, I would like to tell you, I would like to blame it on my great-great-grandfather. You know, it's his fault that I'm an alcoholic. But, you know, it says in the book, you know, the definition, I believe, is, you know, when I, when I try to quit entirely um, and, and cannot stay stopped or when I put alcohol in my body and I can't control how much I drink, I may be suffering from uh, this disease, alcoholism. And then it goes on to say that only a, a spiritual experience can, can solve my problem. Um, you know, uh, I identify as an alcoholic, but I basically, you know, I can get addicted to anything that, that changes the way that I feel inside, you know, uh, anything that makes me feel different, um, anything that I like, I want more of it, you know, whether it's alcohol, drugs, sex, money, whatever. I've had a lot of higher <laughs> powers throughout my life, 
children were a higher power for periods of time. Um, you know, they were all temporary solutions to, you know, my permanent problems. So I was always looking outside myself to fix the insides. Um, alcohol was always seemed to work. Um, it worked for a very long time, you know, and, uh, you know, I wasn't, um, always, um, I think I was always an alcoholic, but alcohol was good for me for a long time. You know, um, I grew up in, in, uh, Wernersville, right up the road here. That's where I grew up. And, um, you know, I had a pretty much normal life until about the age of 10. I came home one day from school and there was no furniture in my house. Uh, my mom and dad you know, had some issues and my dad decided he was taking all the furniture. So I came home from school and I'm like, well, what's going on here? You know, there's no furniture. I slept on a cot for a while. I had no furniture. My parents got back together. They tried to patch things up and that lasted like two years. And then finally my dad left at the age of 12 when I was 12. He wasn't 12. I was 12. <laughs> um, and, and then, uh, so I was actually happy when he left because I was at, approaching that point in my life where I didn't, I, I didn't want anyone to tell me what to do. And my dad was very strict. And so I was actually glad at that time when he left. Now, it didn't turn out so good for me. Uh, my dad, ironically, is still alive and I still don't have a relationship with him today. He lives up in Lebanon somewhere. I think he's still alive. He's going to be 87 next month. But, um, you know, it definitely affected me throughout the years, not having a father around. Uh, my mom tried to control me. She couldn't control me. She had some mental issues of her own. And um, I, I became very rebellious and, and um, lashed out. So I, I, I went from being a pretty normal kid you know, I got really good grades in school. You know, I was a straight A student in uh, in seventh grade, and then when my dad left, and um, I have two older brothers, they're seven and eight years older than me. They bolted, man. As soon as they could, they were out of there. They didn't want to be around the chaos in my house, so they were gone. So it was just me and my mom. And uh, again, my mom tried to control me, but she couldn't, and I just did pretty much whatever I wanted to do. So I went from being a straight A student in seventh grade to and I'm. Um, you know, my senior year, I didn't do one piece of homework. I didn't care. Um, I graduated like 189th out of 192 kids. I barely graduated. I was that kid that had to go to school like extra days at the end of the year to like put chairs away, you know, and stuff to get my diploma. I wasn't even sure I was getting a diploma when I walked up there, you know, to, to graduation. You know, and a lot of that, all of that really is because of the way I felt inside. And when my dad left at age 12, I seeked out the kids that I thought I deserved to be with. So I always had this inferior complex or this, you know, this less than feeling inside. And so I seeked out those kids that I thought, you know, they, like what they say, level seeks its own water. I mean, water seeks its own level. You know, that's what I'm trying to say. So I started hanging out with those, those bad kids, you know, and I started, so alcohol is, is, you know, I'm an alcoholic and I identify, but I, again, I used every other drug. So I started smoking weed at the age of 12. So drugs are part of my story. Um, and I loved it, man. I was like, as soon as I started getting high, I was like, wow, this is, this is what I've been missing. You know, this is, this is it. And that became my obsession right from the beginning was how can I get it? How can I get more of it? You know, I could get, whenever I could get alcohol, I would. Um, and I just wanted to not feel, I guess, you know, I wanted to be separated from my feelings. You know, my home life wasn't great. I didn't like going home because my mom, again, has some mental illnesses. And 
I wasn't sure about the day I was going to go home and find my mom dead, you know, and that was messed up for a kid, you know, to go through. So I didn't want to go home. I, you know, I would walk in my house and I would walk through the front door every night and just stop and listen. And then if I heard my mom crying, I knew she was alive, you know. So that became, like, I became emotionally dysfunctional. And I think I still have some of those issues yet today. You know, it's, it's work in progress. So I did manage to graduate. Um, barely, I drank alcoholically. Now that I look back, I drank alcoholically in high school. I was tall, you know, and uh, there's a beer distributor up in Wernersville that I could get served at. I would go there and get cases of beer and, uh, you know, drink with the other kids. And they would go home and, you know, do homework or whatever normal kids were doing. I don't know because it wasn't me. And I didn't want to go home. I was like, where are you guys going? You know, we're just having fun. So that was my life back then. Then, you know, I did graduate. I went into the workforce. I didn't go to college. Um, About the only reason I went to high school that I wanted to go was I, I played some sports. I was a fairly decent football player. You know, and, and like all the teachers, you know, they loved me during football season, but then football season was over. They didn't like me anymore. And again, rightfully so. I was not a great kid. I was not, I was not a good kid. And I think, I think a lot of the teachers saw what I was throwing away. You know, they, they saw the capabilities. They knew the capabilities that I had, and they knew I wasn't living up to those capabilities. And I didn't really care, honestly. So um, I went into the workforce. I met a woman and uh, had two uh two daughters um by the way you know it talks about in the big book on page 52 the bedevilments you know um you know we have trouble with relationships we're prey to misery we're we're we have a feeling of uselessness you know and uh we have a hard time making a living and that definition can still of, of that's untreated alcoholism and that could be me still today um i uh you know so basically the bedevilments that it talks about on page 52 is the definition of untreated alcoholism, sober or not. So um, leading up to that, so I, I haven't been very successful thus far in relationships. So I've been engaged now five times in my life. Um, I've been married twice. So um, I haven't had a real lot of success in that category. Um, time will tell, you know, things can always change. But so I met a woman had two children. We were, I was never married to her, separated. Um, two daughters that are now 33 and 30, I think. And uh, met another woman, had a son um, who is uh, 26 and has been blessed to have my genes. So he's in this program as well. He's active in recovery, thank God. He's sober. He got sober at 18. I can't relate to that. I got sober at 48. So, but he got sober at 18 and he's still sober today. He's in the Navy and doing very well. Um, and, uh, and then I, I did get married and divorced and, and that was, went on for years. So up till the recent times. So, um, you know, when I, when I was raising kids, um, those children were kind of my higher power, you know, from the time, um, uh, my children were born till my son was probably, 14 or so I drank and I still used drugs but in moderation you know I was a what 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 the, the word functioning alcoholic I don't use that word because I think that's doesn't make any sense but I my kids had a roof over their head you know I went to work um, but I still used alcohol addictively um, just not as much so again, I think my kids served as like my higher power. As I said earlier, I had a lot of higher powers throughout my life in that period of time my kids were. 
So uh, my alcoholism was in check. Um, relapse is not part of my story. It doesn't matter. It's just I was an alcoholic that drank and drugged like an idiot for 36 years. So I don't know which is worse, you know. Um, I never tried to get sober is my point because I didn't think I had a problem. So whether relapse is part of your story or not is not, to me, relevant. What matters is today. What are we doing today? You know, so I don't have a history of relapse because I just drank myself into, you know, uh, uh, a state of oblivion for, for 36 years, you know, with periods of somewhat normalcy. And those, one of those periods was when I was raising children. So as I, as I was getting older um, and my children were getting older, around the age of 35, all of a sudden one day I stopped smoking pot i thought i was gonna be that guy sitting in my rocking chair you know smoking pot till the day i died you know and all of a sudden i i just realized i, I wasn't smoking pot anymore so, wow that's pretty cool i didn't it wasn't hard i didn't try to quit well what it didn't dawn on me was that at that about that same time is when i started doing other drugs other drugs that helped me to drink longer you know um that became a very important part of my life and again, progressed with the progression of my disease. Because I, I didn't know any of this stuff till, you know, I, I, I seek, you know, recovery is that alcoholism is a primary progressive fatal disease. It gets worse over time. It doesn't get better. I didn't know that, you know. For many years, alcohol was great. I had a lot of good times partying and drinking. And, and um, you know, for a long time, alcohol worked. You know, it worked and, and it made me feel better. But as I was getting older and my disease was progressing, it wasn't working so well anymore for me. You know, um, around the time uh, my son was 15, 14, 15, you know, my disease was patient. You know, they say uh, alcoholism is cunning, baffling and powerful. And I believe patient as well, because it was patient and it waited till my kid didn't need me anymore, you know. And I let down my guard or I, my, you know, my disease, disease was like, okay, we're ready to go now. Let's go. Let's read it rip. You know, your kid don't need you anymore. And well, I did. And that's what happened. So from, from that time on, from the time, you know, uh, early 40s to, uh, to 48, you know, my disease progressed very rapidly. You know, I started going out, um, not coming home, um, you know, the unmanageability of my life started to progress rapidly. Um, again, burned through uh, another marriage and, and all these relationships. I always blamed everything on everybody else. Everything was always their fault. You know, I never wanted to look at myself um, and, and realize that, you know, I had a part in these things, you know. Um, and my alcohol, you know, to me, it's a... Uh, it's very deceiving, you know. Um, the disease of, of alcoholism is a liar, you know. It lies to me, and it makes me believe those lies, you know. And it helps me to believe my own lies, you know. Um, I can manipulate my brain and everyone else's, that I, or at least I think so. So, um, so again, burned through marriages, kids are getting older, and, and I find myself, you know, isolating, you know, and... Um, missing work. I'm, I'm self-employed. I've always been self-employed. Um, and I, you know, well, that reason really is because I don't like people telling me what to do. You know, I didn't go in the military because I don't like people telling me what to do. You know, I've always been self-employed because I don't like people telling me what to do. No one ever told me what to do. 
since I was a kid, since my mom tried to discipline me, you know, F you, I'm doing what I want, I'm raising myself, and I'm doing a great job at it. <laughs> and that was a joke. So, you know, we draw these lines in the sand. I, I drew these lines in the sand of what's acceptable. You know, um, like you draw this line, and then, and that's what I'm not doing. I'm not going past that line. Then you go past that line, and then you draw a new line, and then you draw a new line, and then you draw a new line. And then, and then all of a sudden you look back, and that first line that, that you drew in the sand becomes acceptable. Like, hey, that's not so bad. And so for me, that got to the point where, you know, I was barely going to work. Um, my son, my, my daughters, had, they were gone. They were in college. They were gone. My son didn't want to be around me anymore. You know, he was like, Dad, I can't, I can't do this. You know, I got to go. I can't be around you killing yourself anymore. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm just drinking and having fun. I'm an adult, you know, and I couldn't see, you know, the lies that, this, that my disease was telling me. And uh, so um, in uh, late 2012, you know, um, I, I was with a, a yet another woman and... Um, and uh, 2012, the end of 2012 into the beginning of 2013, my disease was like raging. Like I was barely going to work. I tried to drink myself in, in February of 2013. I drank as much as I could for like 10 days and I just, I didn't die, you know. Um, and then after that 10 days, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to quit now. Uh, I quit for like three days and that's the most I ever quit ever, by the way. I drank every day. I, never, I, didn't, I didn't try to quit for like six months. I never did that. I just drank every day. Um, towards the end, you know, I was isolating. I am a member of a motorcycle club here in Berks County, and I was an officer at the club. And so that gave me a reason to go there every day. Every day I went there. And I couldn't wait to get there because there was a beer tap there, and I could do what I wanted there. And it got to the point where I didn't want to be around anybody or anything. I would go there anywhere from 10 o'clock in the morning to two o'clock in the afternoon. If I got there after two, that was a late day. So there's pros and cons to being self-employed. You know, like the good thing is I don't have a boss breathing down my neck telling me when to go, where to go. The bad thing is I don't have a boss breathing down my neck telling me where to go, when to go. I could just do what I want. And there was days I'd be like, hey, I'm not going to work today. I'm just going to go drink. Um, so I did. And uh, I would go there and I would just sit by myself with uh, no radio on, no TV on, and just sit and wallow in my misery, in my self-pity, you know? Um, I tried to, at this point, I'm trying to control my drinking. So, you know, I didn't realize, because I never tried to get sober, that, you know, every time I have to try to control something, it might be a problem. So I would try to do different things. I actually have this piece of paper at home in my drawer that I found a couple of years ago that I had written during this control phase, like I, one of the things was, I'm going to tell my kids I love them every day. I'm going to take the dog for a walk. You know, I tried all these things. I wrote down a list of things that I was going to try to do to control how much I drank. That's insanity. You know, I look back now, I was like, that's just, you know, moronic almost. You know, I, I, but I really truly believed it. You know, I believed that I was, it was going to work. But I tried these things repeatedly. I tried to control my drinking and I failed. I tried to control my drinking and other drug use, and I failed repeatedly. And it talks about, I think, in what Michelle read, you know, these repeated attempts to control and repeated failures led me to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Like, you know, I have like 10 favorite lines in the big book. That's one of them because I can relate 100% to that. You know, I wanted to die. I was just too much of a wuss to 
kill myself, you know, but I, I'm, I work in sales. I'm on the road. I'd be driving down the road and, and I would just like a tractor trailer would be merging on the highway and I would just like, just run me over, just end it. You know, I wanted to die. So that's where this disease has taken me. It took me from being this kind of normal kid over 36 years to wanting to kill myself, you know, and, um, all this time I, I'm, Delusional, you know, I am delusionally thinking that I am still in control of my life. Delusional, not denial, delusional. I believed it. I believed till the very end that I could control my drinking. Till the week before I went to rehab, you know. Um, so, in, uh, I got a DUI in April of 2013. So again, I tried to drink myself to death in February. I got a DUI in April. And for normal people, I think a DUI would wake them up. It just pissed me off. You know, I got pissed off. Like, you, who you, who you think you're arresting? You know, so here's, the, here's kind of an insanity, insane example of this disease. So the night I got my DUI, that night, right before I got pulled over, well, actually, I got caught in a checkpoint. I was just even worse. I had just gone into this wonderful city and got some of that other stuff that I, the non-alcohol stuff. And I had a whole bunch of it, and I'm in this checkpoint. I'm like, oh, God, what am I going to do? And I shoved it in one of my 20 empty cigarette packs under my seat, and they didn't find it. And I got out of jail, uh, came to get my car on Monday. That day, as soon as I picked up my car, I went, and I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm sick. I'm not doing these drugs anymore. And I went, and I sold those drugs like around noon on a Monday. Six o'clock that night. That very night, I started drinking, and I went and bought the same drugs that I sold six hours earlier. Because <laughs> I am powerless over my disease. Now, that's insanity, you know. I make this resolution, you know, like this, uh, this resolution, many after resolution, after resolution, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do. And six hours later, I'm going back to buy the same crap I just sold. So... Um, Along comes May, um, May 18th. I, I went to the club that I'm a member of just to have a couple of drinks. There was a Quake tournament and uh, I played Quakes and I went home and, and uh, that night I stayed up by myself in my room doing a whole bunch of that other crap and drinking and uh, five o'clock the next day at uh, May 19th, I was sitting on the edge of the bed in, in my bedroom with a bottle of pills in my hand, ready to eat them. That's where it took me. You know, it took me to that spot where I, I couldn't see any other way out, you know. And I've known in my eight and a half years of sobriety, I've known personally probably 50 people that are not with us any longer because they, 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 weren't, they weren't given whatever gift. They couldn't see it. They didn't do it. Whatever reason, you know, they're not here. For whatever reason, you know, my higher power stepped in and said, that's enough and plucked me out. And I became willing very quickly to do something different. You know, the week before that, I had a conversation with the girl that I was with and I said, um, I'm, I'm going to control it this time. I'm going to do it this time. Uh, and if I don't, I'll go to rehab. And I said to her, I said, do you, do you think I can do it? And she laughed and said, no. And I got mad. I got mad because. I'm going to control it. This is going to work. And a week later, I went to kill myself and um, I went to rehab. And, you know, I went to treatment and uh, my, my boss, who I've worked for the same job now, I have a boss in sense. I'm an independent contractor. 
I work with people on Medicare. I'm a senior healthcare representative. And so I have a boss that oversees my job. I don't have to answer directly, but basically she, I call her my boss. So I called her up and um, I needed help. She had known my history. She had known, I talked to her years ago about my other drug use problem. I never really said I had an alcohol problem, but so um, I didn't have a pot to piss in. Like my house was six months behind in my mortgage payments. My kids weren't there. I had not a penny to my name. And again, that's those, those lines you draw in the sand. Like I was okay that my house was six months behind in mortgage payments. I wasn't quite in foreclosure yet. I was like close, but I was still okay. I still had a house to live in. My kids still had a house to live in if they wanted to ever come home. So that became normal, you know, that's just insanity. So um, at that point, you know, on, on May 19th, you know, I had had enough. I don't use the word hit bottom. I personally don't use that word. I use, you know, pain, pain. It tells us in the book that pain is the touchstone of all spiritual growth. And that pain can still work for me today, you know, and it worked for me then. You know, I had enough pain that I was willing to change. So, you know, I became willing very quickly to do something different. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that my higher power stepped in. You know, I always believed in God. Uh, I always had a higher power. I never had a relationship with God. You know, I was always that guy like, God, give me this. God, fix that. God, do this, you know, and. And when he didn't, I became resentful at God. You know, um, I, I say every time I speak, you know, that footsteps in the sand prayer. You know, I used to look at that when I was drinking. I was like, yeah, you that you effing left me. That's me walking by myself. And I always get mad. And I know now that that is not true, that God was definitely carrying me. Um, so I didn't have any money. So I called up my, uh, you know, my boss and said, hey, you know, like I, I need some help. And, you know, I'm so grateful for the relationship I have with my boss that uh, she sent money right up to the treatment so I could go to rehab, you know, and um, she saved, she helped save my life. You know, there's a lot of people that helped save my life. There's a lot, I'm grateful for all the people that God has put into my life. And um, I, I don't know where I would have been, how it would have worked, but I went to rehab and I, I was a broken down individual and I was willing to do whatever it took, you know. Um, it says in the literature, I don't know the wording, that for most alcoholics, we are not willing to change until, you know, we're like at the end. I don't know where the wording is, but, um, you know, we're, no, no one goes to AA because their life is good. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't either. You know, my life was bad. You know, I had had enough. And I, I personally exhausted every single way that I could think of to control my drinking. And I was out of options. I, I didn't know what else to do. And death looked like a great option to me. So I went to I went to treatment and uh, I followed direction. You know, um, at that point I was willing to do anything that they said to do to not live that way anymore. Um, so, you know, I, I I have a counselor that that was, I was given a counselor and I'm still I'm very grateful for this individual today. I still talk to her, and she's another person that I think you know was very instrumental instrumental in saving my life. You know, I'll be ever forever indebted to her. You know, um, she didn't take any crap. She told me like what it was. You know, when I got there, she gave me a book, a big book, a big book. She said, read the first 164 pages. And I did. And I couldn't believe when I first, when I was reading this book, and again, I never, you know, part of the reason I explained earlier, I never had relapse. I never had relapse because I never got sober because I never was around AA. So I never saw a big book before. So I'm 48 years old and I'm in this rehab and she gives me this book and I'm, I started reading and the doctor's opinion. I'm like, oh my God. How I can relate to everything in that book. 
you know, uh, the mental obsession, you know, that when I'm not drinking, all I can think about is drinking. It's too powerful to overcome, you know. Only an act of providence can remove it from me. And I'm like, wow, that's insane. And then when I put alcohol in my body, I have an allergic reaction and a craving for alcohol. I'm like, that's me, that's me, you know. And I got to tell you that when I was reading the doctor's opinion and treatment, it was the first time in a long, 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 long time that I had any hope. I was completely hopeless. But reading that book gave me hope because this book was written in 1939. That was almost 30 years before I was born. I'm like, how did they write this book about me 30 years before I was born? And I can relate to every word in there. And so it gave me hope that it meant that it worked. You know, if it worked and this book was written 30 years before I was born and it's still the same, that something, there must be something to this. So, you know, I never had a problem. Okay, let me rephrase it. Only at the very end did I realize I had a problem with alcohol, that I was powerless over alcohol. You know, I, I always really thought I had power over alcohol, but I never thought my life was unmanageable. And that's the stupidity of insanity of my brain. You know, it's like, the left side of my brain is selling bullshit and the right side's buying it, you know, and I believe what it's telling me. And that's that delusional thinking that I was in control. But when your house is six months behind in mortgage payments, your kids don't live with you anymore. You're barely going to work. You know, you're driving a 1997 Ford Taurus piece of crap car, you know, and you have not a penny in the bank. You, know, you might want to, you know, I might should have taken a look at that. My life might have been unmanageable. So getting into treatment, you know, um, I was given this book and I started reading this, this, this book and, and it was just so powerful to me, you know, and, um, one day I was sitting in, uh, in my, in my counselor's office and this was, you know, when people struggle with, you know, came to believe that I could be restored to sanity, you know, you know, in step two, I first had to believe that I was insane, you know, and, you know, the way I was living was definitely insane. It is not a normal function of a human being, you know, to live the way I was living. I was, towards the end, there was maybe 1% of peat left in my body. It was 99% disease. And I was basically living like an animal, you know. Um, I was sitting in her office and, and, and throughout the first couple of weeks of my treatment, she kept saying, Pete, you got to get out of the way. You got you to get out of your own way. I'm like, I, I was getting mad at her. Like, what are you talking about? Get out of my way. I'm here. I'm here in rehab. What more do you want me to do? And, and I was sitting there one day and she said to me, she said, you know, Pete, God does not align his will with you. You must align your will with God. And it was like this light bulb went off in my brain. Like, what? Like, that's it? Like, like I'm supposed to align my will with God. He doesn't do what I asked him to do. And it was really like, a, just, it sounds really simple, but it was like a revelation for me. And that was like, that was like the, a major turning point for me. You know, like that simple thing. And I'm grateful that I have a relationship with a higher power today. And it's because of that conversation. I'll never forget that conversation. You know, it was just, it turned everything around for me in a, in a second. You know, other people struggle with that. They struggle with the higher power thing. You know, I'm grateful that I didn't, you know, and then um, when, when, when I, I was told, you know, when you get out of this place, and I was there for 30 days, when you get out of here, get a sponsor, get a home group, um, get to 90 meetings in 90 days. And, and I did all those things. You know, I went to 90 meetings in 90 days. I went to IOP. I got a home group, which is still my home group today. And I have a sponsor who is still my sponsor today. You know, I believe, and I share this all the time, I believe that God picks our sponsors, you know, because my sponsor, I certainly would not pick on my own. Um, in a normal everyday society, uh, we're, we, we would never imagine that we're together, but we are. 
You know, um, this individual was everywhere I went. Every meeting that I would go to, this guy was there. And I started thinking, man, this dude's following me around. <laughs> He's following me. And so, and then I, like uh, two weeks out of, out of rehab, I was invited to a, a, a sober event, uh, non-AA related, uh, way out in the middle of nowhere in Elverson. If you know where Elverson, it's like out in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing, nobody's in Elverson. So I go there to this event. I walk down in the basement, and don't you know this freaking dude's sitting there? I'm like, all right, God, I get it. I get it. I get it, God. Okay, I get it. So I asked this guy to be my sponsor, and I'm grateful that I did. You know, and I believe that, that that's how it works. You know, I don't believe in coincidences anymore. I don't believe in luck. I used to think I always have bad luck. I don't believe in that stuff anymore. I believe everything happens the way it's supposed to happen, whether I like it or not. You know, um, now, acceptance is the answer, and then I got to make decisions what I can do about it if there's anything I can do about it, you know, in my life. But I believe that, you know, we go through things in our life to teach us lessons, to learn, to be better people. You know, I did pick this individual, ask this individual to be my sponsor, and he, he accepted, and he took me through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, we went through the steps. Um, you know, I didn't know anything about a moral inventory you know, step three wasn't a big, you know, big deal for me. I was ready to do it. You know, I was ready, you know, to turn my will and my life over a power greater than myself. But I thought I was just had to do it once. I thought, all right, I can do that once. And then I got that out of the way. But I have to do that every day. I got to do that every day. Because I, I, you know, when I say, when people say they took their will back, you know, basically, you know, I had trouble with understanding what will and, you know, I turned my, you know, um, my will and my life over to to a power greater than myself. So my will is my thinking and my life is my action. So I turn my, I try every day to do the best I can to turn my thinking and my action over to a power greater than myself that I call God. You know, but I try to take my thinking and my action back on a daily basis because I want to do what I want to do and I want to think the way I want to think still. You know, and that's where we come back to page 52, <laughs> the bedevilments, because that's where it takes me. It takes me back to those things, you know, that untreated alcoholism when I'm living in self-reliance and I'm not, you know, staying in line with my, you know, higher power's will for me. Um, I don't know always what my higher power's will is, you know, but, you know, I don't think it's, um, I, I kind of know what it's not most days, most days. Um, so, you know, um, we're going through the steps, you know, in, in steps four through nine, I never, when I, when I went to treatment, I never thought I was going to be taking a look at a moral inventory of myself, like, all I wanted them to do is show me how to control my drinking and not have consequences in my life. And here I am working with a sponsor, writing down all, all, all the crap that's blocking me off from God. You know, it says, it says in, in, in the big book on, on uh, in how it works when we get to step four that we have to face and be rid of the things that are blocking us from God. You know, and my selfishness, self-centeredness, ego, pride, those are the things that block me from God. You know, and those are the things that keep me from having relationships with all you. You know, and with God. So I had to take a look at that stuff and, and see the truth about myself, you know, really. That all, of, all my drinking wasn't because of all those other people. It was because of me. It was because of me. I was the one to blame, you know. It tells us in there that we think our troubles are our own making. I love that sense because that means I don't have to fix anybody else. I just have to try to ask God to help me to, get, to be a better person. You know, the troubles are, are mine. Um, you know, and then I had to go out and make amends to those people for those harms done. You know, that's not always the funnest thing to do, um, but it's very freeing. Um, you know, when when you when we get to step nine and we go out there and we can make things right. And I got to be honest, the first time I went did step nine, I was still selfish and I just wanted me to feel better. 
you know, and some of those amends I had to go back and make again because I, after a couple of years in sobriety, I was like, man, I, I didn't do that so good. I, I still was selfish and all I cared about was myself and I didn't really free the other person. So step nine is not only about me being free, it's about freeing that other individual, you know, uh, of the things that were done as well. And I, I didn't do that right the first time, so somebody had to go back. You know, nowadays, you know, step 10 and 11 are really like my favorite steps now. Um, and it's transitioned through through my journey because step 10 and 11, I've, for a couple of years, I was focusing on six and seven where my character defects, like, you know, if I'm selfish, self-centered, full of pride, ego, fear, and I'm full of fear still today. I found that out recently. But I focused on six, six and seven, like, God, I need to fix these things. I need to fix these things. I need to fix these things. And it just wasn't really getting any better as fast as I liked it to. I find now that in step 10 and 11, you know, in step 10, it tells us, you know, we watch for resentment, fear, dishonesty, and selfishness. And when these things happen, not if, but when, you know, we ask God immediately to remove them. We don't ask him to remove them immediately. We ask him immediately to remove them. It's a difference. And then we talk to somebody else about it and we turn our attention towards helping somebody else. And in step 10 and 11 is where I, I get closer to God, you know, where I get closer to my higher power. Because I, I, I found that for me where I'm at in steps 10 and 11, if I do those pretty good and I try to, you know, keep a, a watch on my um, harms done and not create any more damage, you know, I continue to take inventory, you know, continue to watch for things I do wrong, you know, and I try to correct those things as quickly as I can. It, it keeps my defects at bay automatically. Like they're not as glaring because I'm correcting them and I'm making, you know, amends for those things. And then I'm talking to God. I'm talking to my higher power about it. And, it, and, and, I, and the weird thing is that when I'm able to do that, not only do the people around me feel better, but I feel better. You know, I strive for serenity in my life today. I lived in chaos for a long, long time. I loved chaos, man. It was awesome. I don't love chaos anymore. I strive to live in peace and serenity. You know, I like, I can't say I like to be bored because I'm never bored. Um, I can't stop moving. Um, you know, that restless, irritable, discontent stuff, I'm still discontent. But I'm a happy discontent. I don't like being bored. And I like to do stuff. But, you know, I like serenity and I like peace. Um, and so when I'm able to do these things pretty, pretty well, not perfectly, because I don't do things perfectly, uh, I get that peace and serenity. You know, um, I talk to, I, I have, do prayer and meditation on a regular basis. Not as much meditation as I should. But, um, you know, and then, in step 12, you know, when I have a, uh, you know, having had a spiritual ex uh, awakening as a result of these steps, you know, that's like an amazing gift. And, and, you know, when I get to go work with other alcoholics and share the message, you know, um, it tells us in working with others, the first sentence is nothing will so much ensure immunity against drinking as intensive work with another alcoholic. It tells us what I got to do, man. It tells us I can't, I can't sit around, rest on my laurels and just say, okay, I graduated. So, I try to work very hard on my recovery on a daily basis. You know, today I have a great relationship with my family, my kids. My kids come to me now for questions and advice, you know, which is a miracle, man. Like, you know, dad, you're the only one I can talk to about this stuff. I need your help. And that's like a blessing. I get to, I get to see my grandkids, you know, before I, before I got sober, I wasn't even allowed. I had one grandson at the time. I have six now, grandchildren. I wasn't even allowed to be around this kid. I wasn't even allowed to be around him now. I get to like have him overnight by myself, you know, like he can come stay at my house unsupervised. That's a big deal for me, you know, for normal people, that's normal. You know, that's just the way it is. But for me, 
that's a gift of this program. You know, I have, a, I, I'm a good employee. Um, I'm accountable. If I tell somebody I'm going to be there, I'm there, you know, so this program has taught me a lot of lessons about life. I still got a lot of lessons to learn. Um, but I'm going to keep doing it every day, the best of my ability. And, uh, you know, and I'm going to anticipate and, and, you know, the promises of the program tell me that, um, you know, things are going to get better, you know, and, um, as long as I keep, it says, you know, if I stay close to God and do his work well, that, um, I'll be taken care of. So that's what I try to do on a daily basis. Um, I think that's about it. You know, I just, I'm grateful for this opportunity. I'm grateful for AA. I'm grateful for my higher power and all you people. And I can just tell you that God has definitely done for me what I tried for many years to do by myself and was unsuccessful. So that's all I got. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speakers Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through its seven tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link on our website, newlifespeakers.org. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and thanks for listening.